shaking my head because I can't believe it's the last full night. Is that true? It's bizarre. It's so fascinating to watch our relationship to time and how slow those first days. <laughs> no, I'm sure I know today was slow for many as well. But uh, all of a sudden, uh oh. Mm. And uh, yeah, I left that basket out a bit too long, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see um, my apologies you know do what I can we'll see or not what I can whatever is possible in this moment <clears> hey <throat> hmm. so just a, a bit of a some some bits uh, first that hopefully might be of service or tie some things together and then see what happens there. It's so amusing to me what a ridiculous thing this whole thing is, don't you think? This whole form, it's a very ridiculous job. Like, it's its just the whole thing. We, it's helpful sometimes to acknowledge this is really unusual. It's so uh, antithetical, so different there, uh, from our usual way of being busy and doing and getting and talking and it's, and then to just come in and be in this form with bells and sitting and walking and uh, it's, it's in um, this part of the world anyways, it's pretty rare and unusual and pretty wild I just like to name that sometimes I think it's pretty wild and it's so good it works <laughs> it's fascinating to me I remember at one retreat center and there was a family that kind of lived there and ran the retreat center and and uh, uh, yeah that was their, their offering and they were also raising their family there and And um, the group was out doing walking meditation out, outside. It was spring or something, and outside, but just walking slowly back and forth in a in a section. And and uh, and uh, the uh, one of the owners um, told us later that her 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 one of her children was quite. Concerned about all the zombies. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's just that kind of outside perspective sometimes. It's like, wow, that's pretty unusual. Yep, and it works. <laughs> I digressed. So, um, last night I shared a few of my experiences with Dukkha and the ending of Dukkha, the temporary ending of Dukkha. It, um, the complete ending of Dukkha is, is called Nibbana, and uh, that's not my experience, <laughs> not, not Buddha. Um, and yet, temporary endings are very fruitful and uh, liberating. And uh, some of you also very kindly shared some of your experiences of seeing the seeing clinging in in a in a moment, in a present moment, and then knowing it's it's ending, it's letting go. Thank you for sharing those. And so I wanted to highlight tonight that. This happiness that's experienced from renunciation or letting go when it happens, not like, let it go, damn it, you know, let go. Not that pushing away kind of letting go, but the letting go that happens from wisdom and insight and caring attention that sees, oh, clinging's here. And letting go can happen um, or begin to happen. So that that uh, happiness that's experienced from renunciation is far greater, greater, far more sublime, far deeper than the happiness of getting what we think we wanted. And it's hard for, it's hard to believe that sometimes until we have these experiences. and But even then, we have to really pay attention to what it feels like when there's moments of absence of dukkha. Because we're not used to paying attention to them, and they're, they are happening. You might feel like you've been in the hell realms at times, but they're, they are happening, and we also need to notice them, not to cling to them. Yeah, so the Buddha said it this way, if by giving up a lesser happiness, one could experience greater happiness, a wise person would renounce the lesser to behold the greater. There's a very temporary ending of craving or clinging that comes from satisfying the desire, getting what I want or getting rid of what I don't want. It does give us some degree of relief, like scratching an itch. It's like, ah. And it's actually not that the pleasure was that great. It's that the relief of the wanting was that it's it's the the, the wanting is uh, we don't notice it. We think it's that thing that was so good, 
or getting rid of that thing. That's great. But it was actually the dukkha that, that is temporarily relieved that, that, is, that we're mistaking as happiness. Does that make sense? And a roundabout. Um, and it's uh, so different from the ending of dukkha that comes from wisdom, from insight, from compassionate awareness. So my mundane story, that I, one that I shared last night about the bread, <laughs> not the bread again, uh, yeah, it, it, it could have been temporarily appeased by having it, have the bread and be present with it, really smell it and taste it and eat slowly and mindfully and that wanting would be gone and the there would be a feeling of satisfaction. Um, or I could... Mm, I, uh, or as I shared with you, I, I pra- was practicing for a bit with mudita, just feeling the real, it was truly pleasant and enjoyable to watch other people enjoying it. Um, and and uh, so that eased the clinging a little bit, the dukkha, the desire. And, but it, it's so different from the, the complete, um, in that moment, deep, peaceful release when awake awareness just really met the craving at its root and 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 letting go happened i'll talk more about that moment in a bit come back to that because we have a choice right there there's a choice <laughs> um the Buddha said it this way, as I noticed that it leads to my own affliction, it subsided. So if we really are paying attention to these dukkhas and their subtlety and just naming, hey, there's clinging here. Uh, it has the possibility to subside when, when we see that it's leading to our affliction. And trying to secure... Happiness through things that are impermanent and conditioned is a never-ending, perpetually unsatisfactory pursuit because they're already broken, they're already gone, it's already scratched, they've already left, etc., In our meditation practice, so those were kind of some daily life ways of how how it may show up, and and in our meditation practice when we're walking or sitting, 
in a formal practice, um, we may be inspired by the young Siddhartha Gautama, as I've cited several times, um, under the rose apple tree. I recall once when my father, the Sakyan, was working, and I was in, sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree. Then, quite secluded from sensuality and secluded from unskillful mental qualities, he entered and remained in one-pointed concentration that is characterized by Hiti, which is uh, means rapture or joy. So rapture, these translations, is like uh, like an amazing sunset. And the attention is just wrapped with it, like that. There's a rapture. It's there's not angels singing and choruses. It's just one pointedness, a rapt attention that has a quality of it's uplifting. It's a not joy, elation, joy, or a exuberance, joy, but. Uh, these are more subtle qualities that we need to start attending to. Just, oh, it, it's okay to just be here right now. That. And it's also characterized by sukha, which is translated as happiness. Another not great translation. <laughs> like, like dukkha into suffering, we've we've explored how what dukkha means. So so many layers and complexities, and sukha is uh, also different than what we think usually think of as happiness. Uh, So in, in uh, this book, Full Simplicity, The Art and Renunciation of Letting Go by Kim Allen, thank you. Um, great book on renunciation. Uh, she says this about meditation. She's citing, first of all, the Buddha here, um, Saying, he's saying, should anyone say the five cords of sensual pleasure, the five sense doors of sensual pleasure are the utmost pleasure and joy that human beings can experience, I would not concede with them. I would not concede that to them. Why is that? Because there is another kind of pleasure, loftier and more sublime, good word, more sublime than that pleasure. And what is that? 
secluded from sensual pleasure, secluded from unwholesome states, a meditator enters and abides in one-pointed attention. So he, so he's saying seclusion from sense pleasures, the getting and uh, of the trying to comfort these sense pleasures, and the um, withdrawal from unwholesome mind states. This is referring to the hindrances that we've experienced and talked about, the hindrances of desire and aversion, restlessness and remorse, sloth and torpor and doubt. These five groupings of mental and physical experiences hinder hinder our ability to rest the attention in in this calm abiding. Kim Allen says, the term, I won't say the Pali because I've said enough Pali, renunciation is giving up distraction in meditation so that the mind finds ease and calm. Letting go of stories, rumination, fantasy, doubt, and thinking about our views is part of renunciation. So in our meditation practice, um, we want to really cultivate and study and practice with community, perhaps a teacher on retreat, so that we can really understand these hindrances and how to be skillful with them so that it's not just preoccupying our whole experience and we can uh, understand the bliss of renunciation. So this word that is being translated as happiness is is actually sukha and it's the literal like in literary terms opposite of dukkha sukha dukkha so this word dukkha the prefix d u d means bad or difficult. And ka is referring to, it, it means empty or whole or space. So together it's a, it was used and referred to the axle hole of a cart, a chariot. And if that hole was bad or bumpy or unevenly <laughs> made or off-center, it makes for a very bumpy ride. Dukkha. And sukha is a good, a well-made, a balanced, a smooth, a clear, ride. 
Um, another, uh, some scholars say that Dukkha might have arrived from some other roots that mean standing badly or unsteady or unstable, which is also interesting. So a rough ride or feeling unstable or feeling steady and um, at ease on this journey. Okay, so back to that moment when the light of awareness meets with dukkha, clinging, attachment of some sort. There's a moment of choice there that's conditioned by practice, by intention, by sangha, by karma, and much more. And in that moment when noticing happens, in our meditation practice, it might sometimes happen like this. So we're, you know, we're ruminating on something. We're, we've got something we want to work out. <laughs> or we just got caught into it and off we go and we're, we're, we're planning something, working hard to figure it out, what we're going to do, what we're going to say in the future and how that's going to go down and you know, so off we go into some some story, or we're just or we're just off grocery shopping in our mind, right? Or we're just something in the future, and then at some point, um, a present moment awareness arises, and and notes planning. You know, have you had that experience? Like, just, and then all of a sudden, there's waking up that goes, oh, I was gone for a while there. <laughs> Planning. And then, and then there's a little moment of, oh, great, let's begin again. And then another part says, well, just a minute. I was, I'm just going to finish this bit because I almost had it. Like right there, there's a choice. And often we say there's a little waking up and then, yeah. But I just want to see if I got the answer yet or if I figured it out. It can also show up like we're uh, meditating and then we're just uh, daydreaming or fantasizing, having a nice pleasant little trip somewhere. And uh, we're just dozing into that seduction of sleepiness. Ah, so pleasant. And then a little moment of present moment awareness arises, notes dreaming or dreaminess or, yeah, however it's noted. And, oh, great, let's begin again. Uh, just a second. I'm just going to finish this bit. Because it was just getting really pleasant. Like, the mind does this. It wakes up and then, yeah, I'll get right back to you. Now, let's just, let's just do that for a bit more. Or let's just, you know, grind on that thing, that person that did that thing a little bit more. I'm not done with that yet. Let me just really tell them what I think. 
<laughs> I want to do that a little more. We could do that for days or weeks. That's juicy stuff. So that moment of awake awareness is a, is a choice moment. There's a lot of uh, energy and mindfulness there. And then just notice what happens. Is there is there like a real excitement to begin again? Like, oh, there, absence of dukkha. Hmm. What's here now? Ah, sukkha. Ah. Or, so that little moment there is important to... It's subtle to to just be with a little more, not clinging, but um, yeah. Um, so renunciation, mm-hmm. of the clinging and the freedom of mental confusion and self-centering afflictions, Renunciation of these is sukha. Um, and then we are also at the same fine time finding true meaning through insight and loving kindness. Matthew Ricard in his book Happiness, also a good book, um, uh, says this about happiness. It says a lot about happiness, but... Uh, Oh, this is what he says about renunciation. Renunciation, at least in Buddhist, as Buddhists use the term, is a much misunderstood concept. It's not about giving up what is good and beautiful. How foolish that would be. Rather, it is about disentangling oneself from the unsatisfactory, dukkha, and moving with determination toward what matters most. It's about freedom and meaning, freedom from mental confusion and self-centered afflictions, meaning through insight and loving kindness. And on Sukha, he says, Sukha, is the purging of mental toxins such as hatred and obsession that literally poison the mind. It's about learning how to put things in perspective and reduce the gap between appearances and reality. To that end, we must acquire a better knowledge of how the mind works and a more accurate insight into the nature of things. For in its deepest sense, suffering is intimately linked to the misapprehension of the nature of reality. Wow. According to Buddhism, suffering will always exist as a universal phenomenon and every individual has the potential for liberation from it.
and uh, hmm. time. Okay. I'm I'll be right there. One sec. <laughs> so we've talked and explored a few it's come up a few times about the Buddha's hmm, graduated discourse the gradual teachings of awakening and how when he met with a new community and stayed for a time to offer the Dharma, he began with dana, with the understanding of our interconnectedness and how the community would support the monastics and the monastics would support the community by offering the Dharma. And the community would give them food and shelter and sometimes robes. And when we, uh, we've also talked a few times about how when the Buddha was a renunciate, you know, all those years, studying, when he left the lay life, the home life, um, all those years of practicing were supported. He was fed and he was offered places to practice. And if that hadn't happened, I shudder to think. <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't have the Dhamma as we know it. That, that this awakening and these offerings, these, the clarity of the teachings of the way, uh, and since 2,600 years ago, that has continued with all the monastics and particularly in the East, the, the community and the, in, the integral part of um, how that has continued. And the reason, you know, we, we did a little bit of Pali chanting here and I keep using Pali words is to keep us connected to that thread uh, and, and not totally uh, just um, mindful it, mindfulness it, <laughs> strip it of its origins. <sighs> and um, it's, it's tricky when we bring these teachings into this culture um, because uh, myself, not being 
a monastic person have have mortgage and den- dentist and <laughs> eyeglasses and uh, costs that are not supported by the community, and yet they are. Uh, so um, this is part of, uh, you know, we could, when we bring the Dharma here to the West, um, just like say it costs this much, can you manage it? Yes or no? You know, but TNI has this incredible sliding scale and scholarship physicians, and that that that's possible because of people that are able to that offer generosity to support others to be able to be here. I remember part of the tradition at that first retreat, that Goenka retreat. Uh, when we offered Donna to the teachers who were freely offering the teachings and all the staff that were volunteering, uh, it wasn't an exchange for that experience or exchange of service. It was offering Donna for the next student to be able to come. That is so beautiful. <laughs> because me being there was someone else offered Donna for that that center to continue and and the teachers to be able to continue so that I could be there and uh yeah so that's uh part of how this is being offered here and uh Elizabeth also is here freely offering because we love the Dhamma and w- want so much to share it. And if you're able to support us to continue that offering for future students, that would be so, so touching. So thank you for uh, the ways you've supported each other to be here and uh, supporting us. Um, So there are, uh, yeah, there are Donna boxes in the, in the dining hall that will be available later this evening and also tomorrow morning. Uh, And Elizabeth will say more about that later. (coughs) So, okay. How do I choose? Let's just, this is on top, so we'll just do that. How can, so good. How can one allow, quote unquote, if one feels unsafe in most environments around most people? Yes, so true. (laughs) Right? Ah, yeah. And, um, hmm. 
it's in, it's interesting how can one allow it's uh, the question arises allow what it's already happening everything is already happening it's beyond our our control all of the everything is all coming and going. And so it's not that we're allowing it, it's like, that's how it is. And the opposite of allowing is, uh, is so much dukkha, is so much uh, resistance to how things are. So how does, when one feels unsafe, with good reason, how do we live and move and and uh, be caring of ourselves and each other when the the world and the environment and perhaps our home or our communities are not safe spaces. This relates to another question that's in there about uh, discernment. And so uh, the Buddha (laughs) does talk quite a lot often about doing what we can to cultivate sangha, safe and skillful community. And I'm aware that (laughs) that word safe is, you know, harm is still often done. And there's some people that really are working and holding intention to offer amends when harm is done and to be as skillful as possible, and to be in communication and truth-telling, and etc. And so, yeah, we can't uh, control a lot of the environments that we're in, and we can cultivate uh, what places are abidings where we can show up with bravery. There's so much more to, to this uh, exploration. Um, so that, you know, yeah, there's something in that word, allow. It, it's, to not add more resistance to uh, what is already painful and to take care of ourselves with self-compassion, self-care, boundaries, kind community, etc.
Why are the hard ones on top? <laughs> Here's that one. How can you build the skill of discernment? Um, meditation retreats. <laughs> I have to state the obvious there. <laughs> meditation practice. Sangha community that, you know, is supporting us to practice and perhaps studying together. Discernment might be supported by having a teacher to check in with. Discernment really arises by paying attention, you know. So discernment, discerning what's needed, right? What do you need, dear one? What's happening? We have to be able to know what's happening. And then to be able to, with compassion, ask, what do you need? Hmm, let's go. We need to go for a walk. You've all been discerning this retreat. We need to go lay down. I need to slow down my walking. This, that's all discernment. What do you need? What's going on? Um, okay, these ones were uh, put in quite a bit earlier, uh, and so I, I've been holding on to them, and uh, well, I want to make sure I address these. Uh-huh. Is not all suffering the suffering of suffering? <laughs> now that sounds funny, doesn't it? <laughs> Right? you got to be an outside observer on that one. It's not all suffering, the suffering of suffering. Anybody walking by would go, whoa, some stuff going on in there. Okay, so anyways. Um, this is referring to those three dukkhas. The first one, dukkha dukkha, the suffering of suffering. Yeah, so in one sense, all, all dukkha is dukkha. And Dukkha Dukkha is referring to particular mm, resistance, aversion to painful, unpleasant experiences. So it's a, it's a particular naming of that kind of Dukkha. Um. <laughs> Also, it goes on, the paper that we kept uh, for cultivating from the, the ritual last night, the ceremony, is that not an invitation for attachment? It's up to you. <laughs> that, yeah, it's up to us if we cling to it or not. Clinging is the cause of dukkha, not pieces of paper. So, uh, cultivation, intention, these are skillful. Bhavana, cultivation, and wise intention. The intention is part of the path. 
we've been talking about it, renunciation, non-ill will, non-harm, these are renunciations. Uh, these are wise intentions in the middle path. And so mm, having a, a, an intention that we wish to cultivate is, is not inherently uh, any cause for clinging or suffering. Uh, is it an invitation for atta attachment? Um, no, don't, don't, don't attach to it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being, I'm just being silly. Uh, so here's a note on on this from Kim Allen. I think. The Buddha used, okay, the desire for well-being, peace, and freedom from the pain of greed, hatred, and delusion to encourage us on the path. The Buddha encur uh, encouraged creating harmonious relationships, being ethical, being caring, and developing the mind in meditation. And all of these are loftier forms of pleasure so they 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 have a they do have some they they are an aspect that deeper aspect of pleasure not sense pleasure and so you know that's very much what we all heard each other share in our intentions was like all of that <laughs> the desire for well-being and peace and freedom to be free of pain, uh, harmonious relationships, being caring, developing the mind. That's all the stuff that, uh, you know, the flavor of those intentions and, and, and it, it's uh, skillful and onward leading and leads to sukha. The, talking about the third dukkha in this question. Is that when we don't have equanimity, like when judging people, as an example? Uh, judging is, is, is dukkha dukkha. It's the first dukkha. You know, we don't like something, and, and there's an aversion to it, and a, a judgment of ourselves or someone or something, that's a dukkha dukkha. And the second one uh, is, is Vipirinama uh, dukkha, is the dukkha of clinging, wanting to keep pleasantness, which is by its nature impermanent. That's the second dukkha. And could I recommend a resource? I don't have a resource, uh, uh, really. It's a whole bunch of, yeah, uh, that particularly clarifies these three dukkhas we've been exploring. 
Um, but I'm happy to meet with folks and explore it further if you like. We'll talk about that tomorrow. How does someone live daily in present time? You are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and daily, in present time, we're sometimes caught in projecting into the future or ruminating over the past. So the person is asking, how do we you know, really cultivate presence in present moment and not get spun and caught into these past and future imaginings and re reimaginings, revisings. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we do yogi jobs on retreat <laughs> is to and walking. Uh, is to practice daily life. Washing dishes, cutting vegetables, vacuuming, cleaning toilets. And it's an opportunity here to, uh, yeah, to, to, to just do that. Just feel body moving, Feel the intention, feel the senses, just doing that, not like, why do I get this yogi job? Or, you know, uh, I hate doing this at home. Why, you know, just past and futuring all over it and not, not just being there, just doing that one simple thing slowly. And that's why we really encouraged it us all to slow down. Ah, there's 45 minutes to do this, this little thing, taking the garbage out or getting the, you know, whatever the thing is. Uh, it's an opportunity to practice that. And walking. Uh, uh, yeah, so all, all these ways. And, and the momentum of daily life is the habit, the sankaras of daily life are strong currents. And it does take a lot of intention, sangha, community, to remind us, regular practice, hearing the Dhamma, to keep reminding us how to be present in daily life. Just slowing down. That takes a lot of intention to slow down. You'll find that out tomorrow. And uh, uh, pausing, sacred pause. It takes uh, it. It takes a lot of intention and supports to remember to remember. Forgetting happens so easily. So that's why I keep talking about community and 
regular practice and support, hearing the Dhamma, helps us to remember to remember. And if all else fails, you know, put a reminder on your phone to ding at you. Pause. <laughs> I, on, on my phone, uh, our son was home for the holidays and like my phone was on the table beside him and uh, it just has this pop-up reminder that comes up that I've asked it to come pop up and uh, it popped up on the home screen and says, don't forget you're going to die. He's <laughs> 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 like, oh, Rick, gotta go. Time for me to go. <laughs> it's a great app called We Croak, but anyways. Um, <laughs> that's a, there's another question in here about this. So, well, I digressed again. Um, yeah, so, you know, you can use a, a, a phone skillfully to remind you to stay present in daily life. Don't forget, you're going to die. What are you doing? Be kind, be present, slow down. Okay. Uh, there was something else about related to that. The time. Are you getting tired? No, it's okay. Okay, a little more. Um, there was one that was related. Oh yeah, it was about death. That's why. Oh, look at all these. Okay. How does the Dharma address old age, sickness, and death? <laughs> it's nature. It's nature. And, and, the Dharma is about awakening to how things are. And to see the clinging and aversion that's causing dukkha. One of the first things I did after that first meditation retreat was I stopped dyeing my hair. I spent so much money and so much time. And and then, like, I was a yoga teacher at the time, and, you know, the roots would start growing out, and I'd be like, you know, down dog, oh, no. Ah, ah, so they're going to know I'm old. Ah. You know, it's like, what, what? What are you doing? Old age, ah, hello. Yeah, so just noticing where there's resistance and aversion and, you know, having a We Croak app to, to uh, <laughs> don't forget, you're going to die. And uh, actually seriously practicing with that a lot. <laughs> a lot. Is so liberating. That's another retreat. Hey, speaking of which... We're, we're teaching that retreat in, in April, so you'll find out about that tomorrow. 
a, a retreat on old age, on aging, sickness, and death, and renunciation. You should come. <laughs> All right. What do we? What do we have? Hmm. This is nice. How does one work with strong likes and dislikes of certain people? <laughs> Um, uh, well, the, uh, those are two, two, two whole things. So we'll just say aversion, because I think the question might be about that. Um, strong likes and dislikes. Uh, so how do we work with dislikes, uh, strong dislikes of certain people? Um, metta bhavana, metta bhavana, the cultivation of friendliness, of, uh, of, uh, of mm, kindness includes the people we dislike. It's 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 uh, not easy, but it works, <laughs> and it's mostly a, it's a lot. Sometimes when we do that practice, we bring into awareness somebody where there's like not not the worst person that you really you know that was very harmful. You don't start there, but like there's a little rub, a little just just a little unresolved start there. And uh, sometimes when we do that practice, we're like kind of sending a bit of white light. May you be happy because you're bugging me. May you be peaceful so you're not so annoying. May you... <laughs> Be well, so you're not demanding so much of me. May you know we're kind of trying to fix those people that we that are, are a dislike. And metta bhavana, the cultivation of loving kindness, friendliness, is the untethering of our own hearts in relationship to others. May you be happy. May you know sukha. May may you be free from mental afflictions. You know to just and 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 at first, if it's you know, we might not believe it. We might we might be like, yeah, but you don't really deserve it, because you know. And we just keep doing it because these brahmaviharas are purification practices, and. You know, so have a teacher, have a community, apply these teachings skillfully, and it works. And so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a whole thing. And how does one work with strong likes? Uh, Just love people. 
a strong like sounds like an attachment, sounds like clinging. I really like you <laughs> there's that's that's a, a form of a dukkha the second dukkha clinging to what is ple pleasant that's the person that's going to make me happy i'm pretty sure i just have to let them know uh, and so um yeah just to see if there's clinging i should stop soon right Yes, that is true. Renunciation is beautification through simplicity. So this is a statement, not a question, and it's good and true. <clears throat> oh, yeah, this one. Sorry, that came earlier. I should have addressed it sooner. Um, is walking meditation with eyes open? Eyes closed, either or. Uh, if you have enough balance to be able to do walking meditation with your eyes closed, you know, and you know you're like in a hallway where there's no obstacles, you've checked it out, uh, and you really have brilliant balance, you could try it for a bit with your eyes closed. It could wake up a lot of sensations in the feet because the eyes aren't going, you know, the eyes are so dominant as a sense door. So it, that could be interesting for like three or four steps. That ought to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to wake up some sensation in the feet. And then... Part of, remember we were talking about daily life, part of practicing walking meditation is so that when we walk to the car and to the grocery store and to the bathroom, we could be awake and present, present moment. So practicing with eyes open and letting the eyes just rest, not looking, but Resting eyes and feeling the feet. Um, so, yes, uh, either or, I guess. And what about walking backwards? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, has nobody tried it yet on this retreat? There's usually somebody walking backwards in the hall. <laughs> uh, uh, no? Yeah. Yeah. There's usually somebody's walking backwards at some point. <laughs> it happens, totally. I've done it. Yes, I have. And um, <laughs> partly, partly it's a little something that we call yogi mind <laughs> that uh, gets a little bored with walking. <laughs> okay, I got the walking. I, I can feel the feet. How many times do I have to do this walking? For how long? Are you kidding? Most people have an aversion to it and, until they like really like it. And uh, uh, so, you know, we, we, we try different things like walking backwards or, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of trippy stuff happens with walking. All of a sudden it, it can get pretty 
pretty interesting. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier today or yesterday, who knows, um, walking happens. The body knows how to walk. And awareness knows walking's happening. Awareness can feel feet or legs as walking's happening. We don't have to uh, work so hard at it or, you know, it can be really peaceful. We, so if it helps you to get more curious of feeling the sensation in your feet to take a few steps backwards. That could be interesting for like two or three steps. And then just carry, just, just stop that and just walk. Does that make sense? I hope so. I think I have to stop. I <laughs> could look at me. I could go. So fun. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, that's practical, so I'll, I'll do this one. It's so hard to not do them all. Sorry. Is counting either breaths, minutes, years, I think it says, um, considered dukkha, well meditating if so what to do about it it's helpful and yet can be hard to let go there that yes that was wise <laughs> what you said there yes um it can be helpful and very hard to let go so if you find it helpful I, I get that. It's 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 really hard to stop if you count all the time, and we 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 want to just if the practice is about awakening to things as they are. So, to help you settle into meditation practice, if you find counting helpful, I might suggest what I find helpful is allow yourself to count if you're using your breath up to 10 so inhaling one and as I exhale two and only up to 10 and then back down to one and that's it drop it so that should be enough to count up to 10, back down to one to get you meeting the breath. And so you've kind of set yourself a parameter. I'm going to use some counting for this length of time and it'll help me know the breath. Um, but staying with counting is is not helpful. That's dukkha. That's clinging. Okay. I, I brought this because somebody wanted an example of renunciation, so I'll end with this. 
I'm sorry. What's this too long? Yes. What he just said. Um, uh, an example of renunciation. So this is on the three-month retreat, and they have a this incredible forest and trails everywhere. And way back at the back of the property, there's this cliff base with a kind of overhanging rock and a bench. Some of you have sat there quite a bit. I know. It's pretty nice. And uh, and uh, so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the cliff. I walk back there, you know, pretty chill, pretty happy. And um, the forest was so soothing. And uh, there was a person there on the bench, but they had the whole bench. They, they, they had two blankets, and they were sat squat in the middle and like had the whole bench, two of the blankets, and there was already two other people sitting on rocks nearby. <laughs> <laughs> and so I took this thin little foam pad, and I, I sat on this there wasn't another comfortable rock. It was like a sloped, uncomfortable rock nearby. <laughs> Got the whole bench. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it was fair ways into the retreat, and there was a fair bit of awake awareness. And I, I was kind of practicing in this way of... Um, Or how to make this not sound too weird, uh, talking to awareness. And so I just said internally, see awareness, this is what mild irritation feels like. It was just, it was okay. Like it was just, check it out, awareness. Look at, this is what it feels like. Oh, look at all this. Um, yeah, eventually he left and I invited the other two women to have the bench. Oh, I just said a bunch of genders. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to do that. So, um, maybe that's an example of, uh, equanimity, uh, that was being asked for of, yeah, irritation arose and, uh, presence knew it, knew it was conditioned, knew it was impermanent, could hang out with it, see its arising, see its passing. 